Welcome back to That Show, Yes, That Show, the Task Talks podcast, the show where we talk about all the goings-ons in the world of school psychology and other random musings. I'm Chris Ponce, as always, and with me, I got Brooke Roberts. How you doing, man? Hello from Lubbock. <laughs> Megan Medina, what's going on? Hi, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> and finally, Kia Sala. Hey, everybody. You know, we're going to get into our subject and bring on our awesome special guest this episode. But something we want to kind of start doing is, you know, letting you guys have a little bit of insight into us on the board. Um, so we're going to bring up a question, a random question. It's not necessarily school psych based on every episode. So for this one, the question I'm kind of posing to you guys is I want to know kind of what other jobs you've had besides school psychology. Anybody can go first. Uh, I don't know how long your list is, Brooke. Um, would you need a second to collaborate? Uh, to- no, <laughs> no. I think, uh, you know, I was thinking uh, my first job, I was a newspaper delivery guy. And um, the so, old school and it, with a bike and everything? No, no. We actually had cars uh, when I was a kid. Um, so. <laughs> well, that was not an old person joke, by the way. That oh, was straight okay. up just yeah, how okay. I envisioned, like, just. Um, <laughs> no, I got my driver's license and then I, uh, I got uh, a job at the uh, Midland Reporter Telegram and I had about 300 newspapers that every morning I would get up around four o'clock and go throw newspapers and I'd be back in bed an hour and a half or so and um, then I would just collect collect the, the fees on the weekends because um, that was before the internet. That was before the internet. So, <laughs> um, And this is like a lack of arrogance or lack of knowing anything, but did you have to go like door to door and be like, you owe me, Mr. Ponce, three bucks or whatever? So sometimes you did, um, but then there were some uh, subscribers who had, you know, auto draft or they yeah, would pay okay. by credit card or, or something like that. But I would say uh, maybe half of my route, I did have to go pick it up on a, on a monthly basis or some of them would pay quarterly or annually. Not too many people actually read the physical newspaper anymore i don't uh, so i did uh i didn't read the f- physical but i i used to wake up every morning and get it on my ipad um but now they're starting to charge for it so uh, <laughs> I'll, i find my ways around that your 30 um, day little so, free period is over basically yeah yeah so no i was in the i was in the newsroom I, it was really cool as a high school job because there's a lot of autonomy there um you know there wasn't i, I didn't have to work after school or anything and then a lot of times i would I would either go back to bed after I threw the route or I would stay up and like study for an exam. Then on the weekends, it it was kind of like all my friends would want to spend the night because we could stay out really late and then go throw newspapers and (laughs) (laughs) causing trouble, man, causing trouble. Well, you're also establishing good habits of getting up early and things like that at an early age, right? Yeah. Silver lines, silver lines. I'm done with that, though. (laughs) So what was the transition from there? Did you go... Went to college and then I did just some odd ends kind of stuff. Mostly in college, I worked for a uh, a ch- children's residential home area, That's and cool. um, yeah, um, did recreation for the the children's home. Um, I also did also worked for a a company and we built computers and then did a lot of uh, audio visual setup and renting of projectors and things like that so that was all pre pre-grad school and then and you then, came into this wonderful world yeah, then then I, I mean it's i mean i guess since then it's just all it's always been kids at some level yeah that doesn't sound good 
Yeah, it's all right. We, we get what you mean. <laughs> We're just going to brush past it. <laughs> so I don't know. Any other? What what about y'all? Have, have you had any interesting gigs? So uh, the two that come to mind um, for me is the, the first one, is, and I'm assuming the statute of limitations up, so I'm, so I'm okay with doing this. Um, I used to deal poker at a an underground poker club. Um, I was a poker dealer in a, wow. in this place in Houston. So I would I would go say up to all hours at night dealing poker. I can um, imagine this in my head right now. <laughs> what is the job this? interview like for that? <laughs> it, you, it, it's it's a, a no people kind of thing, and just so like you, you know, have like a purple light and follow like signs on side of buildings to get to it. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. It's more like you're just playing in like a warehouse somewhere, basically. Yeah. Um, so it's nothing nefarious, but like you know, just having knowing people in that world who are looking for people who they can trust and who are trustworthy and who know the game and who know how to manage the board, which I was able yeah. to do most of the time. Every now and again, you screw stuff up, but luckily there's ten other people there. So that was really fun and interesting. The other one that comes to mind is that so was that was that mainly Texas Hold'em? Yes. Yeah. I, I dealt. I didn't. I don't know how to deal Raz or Omaha or any of those. Like, no, you don't want to trust me with that. So yeah, just Texas Hold'em. Um, and and if, our, if our listeners are careful, they will hear Kia shuffle cards periodically. That is that is true. That's for the ADHD. Um, <laughs> and then the other job that comes to mind is Megan and, and Chris. You may not be familiar, but once upon a time there were these places called shopping malls. So before Amazon existed, we had these large buildings that was like a real life Amazon. Um, and I worked at like Spencer's, a space, in my opinion, yeah, and I worked but... at Spencer's gift store in the mall, which if you remember, Spencer's was a, a very interesting store yeah. and working there was also a very interesting experience. Yeah. Okay, we are not that young. They still have, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah Spencer still exists. I remember mediating, but, but do people your age go to the mall? mall? I feel like anytime I've had to go to the mall, which I don't enjoy, like it's just old couples power walking. Like there's no one shopping at the mall. Like, don't enjoy it when I have to do it. It's really <laughs> frustrating and annoying. So no. <laughs> it's interesting. Well, what about you, Megan? Do you have any odd jobs or fun no. jobs? Honestly, no. It's not as interesting as Kia. So I just did. I come from a big like Mexican American family where I was just surrounded with like little cousins, and my job was to always babysit them, and I would get paid for it. So that was great. I also like did a work program in high school. So I was the secretary to council school counselors um, at our high school. And then I also went to um, primary schools to just help teachers out as well. So I always had kind of like Brooke said, always kids were always involved in some way. Um, and then I've been like um, a camp counselor in the summer when I went to Baylor University and I worked with high school kids. And then I've worked at a private school in San Antonio while I was going to grad school and did a part-time like counseling and behavior consultation there. So not, not odd jobs and not interesting, kind of boring. (laughs) Still experience that probably helped you in your current world, right? Yeah. (laughs) So So, Chris, how, how has bartending helped you? Yeah. Well, social (laughs) skills, um, being able to have conversations and hold them for, I mean, let's be honest, drunk people and children are like the same. Um, so, you know, keeping that attention level really served me for many years right out of high school, because this was obviously not the the original thing I wanted to do. I did an internship at the zoo. Um, so I did that for a summer. That was a lot of fun. I was a barista at a Seattle's best coffee inside of a borders bookstore, which is a very outdated sentence. I ran a pet store for a few years. That was a lot of fun. And I, and I do think, and this is not in jest, 
I do think that job really helped me in my, in, as a school psychologist, because as a manager, I was forced to interact with customers and deal with issues and deal with problems and different type of issues, right? Like my dog is sick, what food should I feed and things like that. But still like, because I was, you know, in charge or one of the leaders, I had to, you know, step up to the plate because prior to that, I was not, a, I was very shy and introverted and all that type of stuff. So that job really helped me. Then grad assistant in grad school, I, I worked at a, uh, a loan store too. So I've had a bunch of different jobs, but this is clearly the one I like the best, right? But yeah, we have a very eclectic field <laughs> on this panel. Uh, does anybody else want to add anything or have any questions for anybody? Just one thing under your point, Chris, I don't know if you ever watched the show How I Met Your Mother, but they actually yes. do invent the game Drunk or Kid, where oh, one of the characters tells them a story of some incident and they have to guess, was he drunk when this happened or was he a kid when this happened? Yeah, I mean, it's the same kind of conversations of like, why why are you taking your shirt off? You got to put your shirt back on. Does anybody know what this person wants? Like, like the mumbling and everything. So I get it. I get it. That's a great way to transition into our guest for this episode. We have Stephanie Mathis with us today. She is an amazing member of our task board. Um, she's an amazing practitioner and school psychologist. And I do want to thank her for being here today. So how are you doing, Stephanie? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So something we like to kind of ask all of our new guests is how did you become a school psychologist, right? That we've already kind of, you know, spoken in previous episodes about, you know, the shortage and how we don't have a lot of people don't know what we do for a living. Is that kind of what happened to you too? Did you know about this field before you got into it or what? I did not know. Um, I, w- I came home one uh, summer from college and my mother was like, there's a lady at my school I want you to talk to. And I was like, what does she do? I'm a psych major. Like, oh, I yeah. don't really care. And so she was like, "She, I think she tests kids or something. And so I was like, okay. And so she was like, oh, yeah, I test for special education. I was like, what's special ed? Like, <laughs> what, is, what is that, ma'am? Yeah. And she was like, like, talk to kids and counsel kids. And um, but I mainly test kids. And I was like, hmm, social work, school psych. School yeah. psych one. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there you go. Crazy. So that's how you found out about school psychology. What was your journey, right? Where did you go to school? Where did you grow up? All that type of stuff. Okay. So I had the wonderful opportunity to attend a historically black college called Spelman College in Atlanta, Georgia. Nice. Um, so I was the only friend of mine that left Texas. I was like, I'm one out of here. I want to go far, but not too far. Yeah. And just to be immersed in the culture, to be at a school where women look like me who were doing things in leadership and kind of that push for, you know, we make great women here. I was like, wow, I can do this. This is awesome. And then, of course, um, getting towards like my junior year, I was like, what am I going to do? Everybody was talking about going to grad school. And I was like, but for what? Like, what do you go for you don't get a job after this like you just don't get a I'm not gonna get a job and be done with it and they're like you know pick something and everyone was picking social work and I was like I don't want to work for CPS I don't want to do that and so I was like school psych and I was like I still have my residency in Texas because I worked every summer so I was like hmm Texas State University sounds yeah. like the place to go <laughs> and that's where I met uh Lori Close and I was like mm, you're interesting I think I want to be here yes, yes. <laughs> and that's kind of how it's happened for me <laughs> and and so how long have you been a practitioner oh god this is my 12th year oh it feels wow. like longer but I guess just 12 years I'm still a baby I guess no, 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 not at all. Um, and so how did you become part of the task board? Like, have you had other positions before or what? 
Yes. Um, so when I worked in Pflugerville ISD with Ashley Arnold, um, she was like, you need to run for something on the task board. And I was like, what's task? Like, <laughs> you got to tell me some more information, ma'am. Like, yeah. You're just not helping me here with the stuff. And she was like, you'd be great as an area rep. And I was like, well, what's an area rep? You know? And so she- I feel like she gave you a bunch was. of demerits for that. When she you're like, did? what's task? She's I'm like, here's sorry. a demerit. <laughs> yeah. Okay, look, I'm sorry. She was like, look, you need to do this. I need somebody from Pflugerville. And I was like, okay. And so I ran and I was area rep first. I did that for two years. And then of course I got busy with work and everything. And I kind of stepped away. And then now I am secretary, which I absolutely love. I was unsure about that at first. I was like, take notes. I take notes all day. Like, yeah, maybe I can do this. And so I absolutely love it now being back. And this is not obviously anything bad, but you take amazing notes. Like it is very <laughs> thorough. And I love. I try. <laughs> That's all thanks to Kelsey. I tell you, she was meticulous in her notes. I was like, template, going to take it. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, when I read your notes, I'm always like, how did she catch all of this information in our conversation? Yeah, I'm like, oh, I missed that part of the meeting. Like, oh, now I'm caught up. <laughs> Whoops, I kind of zoned out and was like, what did they say? Okay, I'm finishing it. <laughs> yeah. So, and then, so being part of the board, obviously, we're very much, you know, advocating for the state of Texas and all the practitioners in the state. Is that kind of what you see yourself doing? Is that why you want? I mean, I know you were kind of fallen told to be on the yeah, board, but myself. now that you're on it, like, is that um, kind of what you take pride in? The driving force for me, honestly, is just I didn't know until I got into the profession how many children of color were either misdiagnosed or overdiagnosed for things like ADHD and ED. And I was like, wait a minute. Have we thought about culture? Because thankfully, by going to Spelman, we talked about cultural responsive pedagogy. And I was like, do they understand? Kids don't have to learn how to code switch. Like, when you talk this way and when you talk that way, that means something. And so I was like, I've got to do something about that number. I, it was just hardening to me to see, especially little black boys and that pipeline to prison mentality. I was like, I cannot sit on the sidelines and not do something. So that's kind of the driving force for why I go so hard, I think, for the profession. Well, I'm glad. We, obviously, that's an amazing thing. Okay, so this just connected. Beverly Daniel Tatum. Do you know Beverly yes. Daniel Tatum? So yes, I Beverly do. That, Daniel was, that Tatum, was one of my presidents, okay. yes. She wrote, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? She's President <laughs> Emeritus I that book. From, uh, I know that book. from Spelman. Yes. Yes. So did you like get to sit in one of her classes or did I you... did it? She was, she was our president. My senior year, she became president of Spelman College. And so just to hear her talk, like anything she talked about at school, I was like, when is she speaking? I want to just go and speak. So anything she time, she had speaking engagements. I was there. She was very active in the culture with students, especially her big push about, you know, having young black women making moves and doing those kind of things. So I didn't have her class, but I definitely... Anytime she was at convocation, she was speaking. I was like, "Ooh, what are you saying?" Yeah, yeah she's she spoke, awesome. She spoke at NAS. So we NAS was at was in Atlanta. What was that right before pandemic? No, two years, a year that before. Was, that was nineteen. Yeah. Yeah. So a year before COVID, and they had her for a session. Like it's an afternoon session. It's like halfway through the week. It's really usually a very poorly attended session, mm -hmm. and this the the room was packed out an hour before the session yeah. even began. Wow. She's heavy. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Um, but when we're talking about like culturally responsive practices and ED assessments, what advice would you give to LSSPs who are trying to kind of dismantle that disparity that you're talking about? Like, what can we do to help that? I think it's outside of just picking the right test. I really think, and like for me, I get to know the student, I get to know the teachers and really ask them questions like, what is it about the student that makes you think 
there's a behavior concern? Like, is it really a classroom management thing? Is it a teacher, student not kind of pairing together? Or is it truly something going on with a child's mental state? Um, and so I feel like you have to look at, yes, of course, your test, what you have to use for battery of tests, but looking at the bigger picture, getting more information. I talked to parents, finding out about, did they come from a traumatic um, family home? Is it, is it dysfunctional? You know, was there trauma in the child's life? Were they abused and that kind of thing? So I think you have to kind of tease out more of that and ask more questions. I think sometimes we get kind of, well, I'm going to take a test, that's it, this test, yes or no, black and white, and it's not black and white. You have to kind of deep dive and kind of get underneath the surface and get to learn the student. And of course, whoever referred the student, usually it's the, the campus that refers because they're tired of sending them home and they're like, so ISS and OSS is not an intervention thing. Yes. Try again. It is not. <laughs> you brought up something interesting that you said classroom management. And I, I guess I'm just going to kind of ask everybody here. How do you approach a teacher who says this kid needs to be tested when it's maybe not the child, you know? So maybe it's uh, external concerns, mm -hmm. environment mm -hmm. concerns that are not home environment, but school environment stuff. Um, yes, you bring up a good point. I've had this happen before, actually. Uh, I don't think she was new to the profession, but maybe she hadn't been in this particular setting with this group of students before. And like my sitting in there for 15 minutes, I was like, oh my God, like they're cussing, they're cursing at you. You're okay with that. And like, I wanted the, per the, the person raised rights in me wanted to be like, stop <laughs> kids. Like you're being disrespectful. Then I was like, I'm just an observer. Yeah. They keep doing things. And so at that point, you kind of have to go to administration because that's where they need to step in as their teachers and providing support for teachers on classroom management. Now, of course, I'll offer and be like, you know, I kind of noticed some things when I was observing. I'm more than willing to do a, you know, kind of PLC time on classroom management styles and what may yeah. not help, you know, but you kind of have to put that back on an admin's kind of. Yeah, it just becomes more of a systemic issue at that point. And I think one of the things you can do, maybe not for that specific one that I've done in the past, is like work with your admin teams, your systems teams, and really like dig into some things uh, as far as data goes. Like, you know, for example, one of the things, you know, when you look into it and you're like, this this fourth grade teacher, I'm not picking on fourth grade, but like, you're like, this fourth grade teacher had 16 referrals out of her classroom this year, whereas the other two fourth grade teachers had two referrals. And the third grade teachers total had seven referrals and all the fifth grade teachers had six referrals. So unless there's some incredibly bad luck going on here, the idea that there's 16 appropriate referrals coming out of one classroom is not realistic. And I know definitely for me, it was, it was a finding my voice type of thing. So I know early on in my career, if I had noticed that I was a little more apprehensive to maybe, yeah, or maybe correct a teacher that's been doing this a long time and maybe correct's a wrong term, but have that conversation. Um, so that's something that I definitely had to learn is like, you know, grow a backbone. It's okay. If not, everybody's going to like you, you know, you know, you just have to learn. You have to learn to say no, like this is not a good referral because of everything Stephanie was talking about, like A, B and C, right. And to have that type of conversation. I know that was a big thing for me to have to get over. Stephanie, you were talking about your calling into school psychology and how you said, you know, we've really got to fix this. We've got to stop um, identifying, especially young boys of color with emotional disturbance when there could be some other explanations going on for this mis mismatch in behavior. And then you started talking about, you know, your battery of tests. So do you have some favorite instruments or measures that, that you like to use? And, and of those, do you find some to be more culturally fair than others? Wow, that's a loaded question. Uh, 
Um, I, probably my go-to for sure is the Basque. I mean, I feel like that's most culturally sensitive for, for any culture as far as getting down to the information and kind of taking that out. Um, I definitely like the SAED3 um, is my mm. favorite, actually, just kind of getting down to the nuts and bolts of making teachers think about looking at that period of time, that window. It depends on what the RTI paperwork says as far as if they were concerned about depression. I'll do a CDI too. Um, in there, but probably my main things are going to be the Basque, the SAED three. And then of course I do stuff with the kids. I'll do the, um, for me, it's really the interview. It's really just having a conversation and talking and just not, I used to have scripted when I started, I used to have like a scripted, I'm going to say this. And now I just flee for it. I just, we just yeah. talk about what do you like? What do you do? And then you kind of work, once you build the rapport, you kind of work into, so what makes you mad? What makes you sad? What makes you, does anybody make you sad? Like, what do you feel like? And I feel like having that well-roundedness of not just getting in there and doing a test, but really trying to, I build connections with kids, with, with adults, anything. I, w- I want to build a relationship and I want you to feel that it's genuine, that I genuinely care about you. It's not just some woman in here that you're going to see for like two hours one day and never see again so i feel like you have to have not just the formal test but making that informal piece as well i think that's a very important thing about this eligibility in itself is it's not like an academic i mean it's all academic based at school psychologists but we're actually kind of you know getting into deep things with these kids and they we need to make sure that they're being heard and being understood and that they have somebody like stephanie on campus that they can go talk to right or or brooke or megan or kia or myself like it just needs to be someone i would also like to throw in there i use the connor cbrs and i know it is like 200 questions for both the parent and the teacher but i love that assessment as well it's just another basically another behavior rating scale you mentioned that you look at the RTI data and just kind of see what the referral question is. And I think, you know, where I'm going with this. <laughs> I do. I, I bring it on. I know what you're going to say. Yes. <laughs> but do you receive, like receive sufficient information from RTI when it comes to behavior? And when you get those ED referrals and you go into those meetings with teachers and campuses? So I'm at the pleasure of being at secondary, junior high, and this year they put me back at elementary. So my, I'm gonna be honest, my junior high stuff sucks. It's just like they had a referral, you send them, the principal's tired, just do yeah. something. Well, there's I'm not like, always a whole lot of RTI done at that correct, secondary level. So correct, correct. I take a really active approach to RTI for the elementary level. And I explain to the campus, especially the administrators, that I'm here to help you. You should bring me in at tier two, tier three, and here's why. Uh, We talk about, um, let me sit down with the the, uh, core teachers for that grade level. Let's talk about what are they seeing? Here's some interventions to try. Here's some things to try. I'll have my RTI coordinator sit in those meetings as well so she can take notes. And I'll say, you guys, you know, I think you're in the right direction. Maybe you need to try this. Maybe you need to try that. And just kind of really have a conversation and a dialogue with them. So I've gotten way better referrals probably since the spring, since January, way better as far as detail describes of what behaviors are you seeing? What does it look like? What really have you tried other than you send him to your friend across the hallways classroom or you send them down to the AP's room? Have we really truly tried to do some things? Have they met with the counselor? Uh, I'll, I'll check in with the counselor to say, what are you doing with them? Are you just doing a lunch bunch? Are you actually working on some things? So I feel like for elementary, I the person that I am, I've kind of woven myself into that to kind of help guide you. Now, it's not always the best thing. And sometimes they just do what they want. But I think helping up front and kind of letting them know that there are things you can try. And if you tried it, and I won't give them like the full four, six weeks, whatever. I mean, at least two, three good weeks, like you've done something consistently and you can, and then I'll have them use um, 
the PBIS uh, world program to track it. I say, look, you can track it. It's easy. Get on there and do it. You know, y'all can work it together as a team to figure out what you want on it. I can look at it just to see if you're in the right direction because that way now it's more information that I have when it comes to now it's referred to me and I know what am I doing with this kid? Like, what's going on? My mantra was always call me in September, not February. Correct. Uh, because if, I want you to call me like as soon as you have a problem, or as soon as you're struggling with a student, call me and I will come in and we will brainstorm and we will come up with strategies. Don't wait till February when you've when you've yeah. lost it <laughs> with this kid. Yeah. Like you're just mm-hmm. done with them and then you want it and then we're just going to struggle uh, with that process. So that was uh, right with you, Stephanie. And I was an elementary person. That was my jam. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was a little bit easier there, but it's still a struggle sometimes. And I'll definitely, for me, I'll tell them like, look, I, I can come do a pop-in. A pop-in is 10 minutes or less. Like I'm not about to get a whole bunch of that until informed consent. And so if they're really concerned about a student, I'll be like, let me just do a pop-in. I'm not gonna tell you when. 10 minutes kind of look and see, and then I can kind of pop out and be like, mm, let's play it out that way. Okay, great. Um, just to get more information for them when we have the RTI meeting. Right. So do you have a go-to, like you, you were talking about, you know, I might give them some suggestions to try this or try that. So do, do you have a go-to rec, like intervention? Like I, I always you know, love mystery honestly, motivators and I don't good like, behavior I, game. And <laughs> Right. I really don't. I think honestly, because I've done this for so long and, and I really listen to the teachers, like, what are you experiencing? What's happening? A lot of it comes off the dome. A lot of it's like, have you tried getting a journal? Yeah. and letting the kid write in a journal. They're like, I can do that. I'm like, you keep it in the classroom. Like, I mean, you keep it in the classroom, let them vent on it. And then so a lot of this stuff just comes, honestly, as we're talking and I'm listening, active listening in their RTI meetings, I'm like, so it sounds like the kid might benefit from this, or it sounds like the kid may benefit from that. And especially when you see like one teacher is really frustrated and there'll be other teachers on the call or the Zoom that'll say, well, he doesn't do that in my classroom. And I'll say, Miss so-and-so, well, what can you tell Mr. So-and-so to do to try in his class that you do? So I used to have like a go-to and now it's just kind of like, I'm listening because not everything works. I mean, not everything is like, a here's a list and just pick something off right. of it. I want it to be intentional and I want it to be student specific. So I kind of just off the dome. like. So what it. you're saying, Stephanie, is you act like a psychologist in the schools? Yay! Oh, yes, okay, all right. Okay. Term for that. It's a school, a, a school a psychologist? School psychologist? Is that it? Correct. That's weird. It's weird. It's weird. Um, huh. I know one thing that I've kind of learned is what I know is not what everybody else knows. And that I say that and like, like my assumption is like, Oh, maybe don't send home a behavior chart that has nothing but negative stuff on it. You know, maybe have a positive behavior chart so the kid can look at it, things like that. Cause in my mind, I'm like, why don't you just do this? But I have to like reset and rethink myself and let myself tell me like they're thinking from a different perspective. They're dealing with the kid all day. It's easy for me to come in and suggest something and then like walk out. Right. So that's, that's one thing that that's another hurdle I had to kind of get over kind of thinking post, right. Student qualifies, you know, you know, he's getting sped support counseling. What are we kind of doing at that point? Right. Cause you know, we're trying to be proactive. We're trying to, you know, get the student in the right mindset. So I guess, Stephanie, what, what are you working on? Are you just having conversations? Like I bring in a lot of board games, um, and kind of just have conversations through the game. Cause I think at least with the students that I have, or at least I'm thinking of the specific ones in my caseload currently, they kind of like let their guard down a little bit because they're thinking about the game. And that's when I jump in with a question, right. Mm-hmm. Or bring up something they did yesterday that they know they shouldn't have done or something like that, but go ahead. 
So I kind of have a little bit of a unique situation. So I'm in a district where we have SPED counselors. And so um, they're assigned to certain campuses and they provide the direct counseling services. Now, however, especially for students that I have, I have um, given the eligibility of ED, I definitely work in relation with them to kind of get them on the track of starting of things to do. Um, I personally, about, gosh, almost 10 years ago, I created my own girls group social skills curriculum. And so I run actually, I haven't, this is the first year I probably haven't done it in ages. Um, I run a girls group uh, with genetic kids and I'll make sure to ask the counselors, hey, give me some sped kids. And I usually end up getting some of my babies on there to kind of help work on some of those deficiencies, especially with girls about how we interact with each other, how do we become friends and body image and all that kind of thing. So I've been lucky enough to be able to kind of insert myself um, and kind of pull back from doing the direct counseling as much um, with students with, help, with having an IEP and that kind of thing. So I'm kind of spoiled in that sense <laughs> um, right yeah. now. And so that's why I definitely thrive on having the, the social skills group just so I can just kind of be enmeshed and it's just another person that's like another counselor and we'll do it for eight weeks and then love y'all, but I gotta yeah. go kind of thing. Yeah. You know. That's very interesting. How did you how did you come to be create this? Let's say that. How did you come to create this? <laughs> um, so I was that kid in school. So like academically, I mean, I came from an education background. My mother taught for almost 39 years. I had a grandmother taught for 40 years. So nice. education was very like, we're gonna do this no matter what, your grades are gonna stay up. Um, and I kind of suffered um, through that I was always the big friend, the fat friend, the fat girl, you know, like the chubby girl that was always there. And so for me, junior high was just that, was the boys were really mean and picking on me. And right. I was like, you're stupid. Like, and so I just got to be too much for me one, uh, one day. I was in the seventh grade and I was just like, this is too much. I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. I, I can keep the facade for so long. And, you know, my mother was raising me by herself. My parents were divorced. I was like, I, I want out. Like, this, this is not for me. I wrote a note. I had a plan. No one knew I had a plan. I went to school that day. And the counselor saw me struggling to get from, like, one in the hallway to the other. And, like, I was trying to hurry. The bell's about to ring. And I was like, I'm going to be out of the wrong room. Yeah. My mom's going to kill me when I get home and whoop me with a belt. Like, I was just scared. Like, and she was like, stop. And I was like, I don't have time to talk to you, lady. Like, what do you want? And she was like, come here. I want to give you a hug. And the whole weight just kind of came off. And I was like, wow. So that's kind of where I know that I found my calling was that someone helped me by just giving me a hug and saved my life. And this is why God presented this purpose for me to be able to do this, to touch lives, to educate people, to understand that we are more than just our eligibilities. We, we can go on and do great things later in life. And so for me, that's kind of what kind of sparked it for me was that like, I can takes, make a difference. It takes one, right? It just takes one person, right? Thank you for sharing that with us, Stephanie. Sure. That was wonderful. Um, so I guess kind of, so you, you primarily work with girls, right? in this mm -hmm. curriculum mm -hmm. um is it just group based you guys just have conversation yeah or what? so of course you would ask me about that um I'm sorry. I'm sorry. so over the years i kind of i pull from different counseling resources i'm all over um youthlife.com um, as far as getting counselor resources and so over time i kind of just pull lessons from here and i was like I can do this. I can write a manual. I can, why not yeah. um, have it all in one place? And so I just started 
um, in 2013, I actually put it on paper, like, this is what I'm going to do. And I've expanded over the years. And now I have a facilitator's manual that actually has, what do you need for the lesson? What's going on for the activity? These are the questions we ask. This is some of the information we talk about. I have a student manual. So the kids see this, the fun stuff where we're making, we're making things and we're doing things and we're talking about subjects. And then, of course, I give the activity book where here are all the activities we're going to need. And I kind of just here we go. We're just going to start from here. We do lesson one is, hi, who are you? Who am I? And then we kind of end with um, the final lesson being goal setting. What are your goals? What are your aspirations after you leave here? You know, you're not going to be in middle school forever. What do you want to do after life? And how can I help you get to where you want to be? And so that's just kind of how I just, we just kind of roll once a week. And the, the girls, it's so funny. I think I connect with girls, but I'm a girl and I've been trying to grow myself to do a boys group. It's just very hard for me because I'm like, what do I tell a boy? Yeah, guys are very complex. Not being angry, like, I'm sorry (laughs) for you. And so I know one time I missed, I was so busy testing that I missed a group and I told the counselor that I was working with, hey, let the girls know, I'll be next week. Like they were bummed. Like they came to my door and were like, we have group today. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, I'll make it up. We'll, we'll add it to the end. We'll go another week. And so yeah. I'm like, wow, it really does make a difference for them to be able to feel safe. I mean, so we do, I do about between three to six girls um, in a group. Usually I get all six to stay the whole time. I usually get one that'll be like, this is not for me. And yeah. like, you can go. Yeah. It's okay. And okay. then when they find out that they're missing stuff, can I come back? Like, like, you know, it was just maybe last week. Right? I'm like, no, <laughs> sure. You know, you can come back. So that's kind of what I do with the girls. Well, for all those publishers listening, this is Stephanie Mathis. Um, she was willing to talk. I am sure I am. I'm now her manager. So come through <laughs> me and I will take care of all the conversations. There you go. After you get your finder's fee. Yeah. <laughs> And those I'm actually researchers gonna work on getting it copyrighted. I want to be able to. I don't. I feel like I have so much knowledge. I want to share. I'm not a hoarder of. It's mine. No one can use it. So I feel like I'm gonna work on getting it copyrighted, and then looking like all nice and pretty, and then I'm here for it. Like, let's get some extra money on the side. Like, I, I, hey, the side hey, hustle. I like, I don't <laughs> hate the hustle. All right, you hustle. Okay, and, and and I say it as a joke, but I think that is phenomenal that you've gone out there on your own and created this. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead, Megan. No, I was just going to say that I'm on, for my district, I'm on a discipline disproportionality committee, um, trying to tackle all of that. (laughs) And um, one of the things we're talking about is like, there needs to be empowerment groups, especially for like black girls and just, you know, the push out um, and black girl like criminalization. And this just sounds like so amazing to have that girls social skills group. um, Yeah, and I kind of make it, you know, culturally sensitive for everybody because I honestly, I asked my my gen ed counselors, what kids do you see that kind of need the extra support and let them pick the kids. And I've I've noticed that it's been a good mesh of students. We have students that are really smart. We have students that are really quiet, um, all different um, ethnicities. And so I think it just kind of works for everybody. It's it's basic skills of what you need to do to navigate. Mm -hmm. Especially junior high, it's like, what do we do? <laughs> so yeah, great junior, junior high is the worst. So yeah, it is. But yeah. I love it. <laughs> I'm glad you love it because then I don't have to work there. So that's, that's there you go. Yeah, okay, so. <laughs> give me all your junior highs, please. Give me yeah. all that six to eight. Yeah, come on. Yeah. So Stephanie, uh, one of the things that I think is really challenging about emotional disturbance eligibility is it is so ambiguous. It is so vague. You know, we have a 70-year-old definition at this point yeah. because it's literal. It's never been updated. 
It's it's based, there's questionable pieces like the whole research related to social maladjustment questions surrounding that. And so I think it's one of more so than any other eligibility area, I think ED comes down so much to professional judgment and building this practice. And so I think a lot of people end up having to develop their framework for what does it mean for a kid to have an inability to learn? What does it mean for them to display inappropriate behaviors or these things? Can you tell us about like, how do you conceptualize some of those pieces? How do you start to figure out, um, should this kid be eligible? What, what's your thinking around that? So I always tell my admin team whenever I have ED, I take it seriously. Like when I put a label, I shouldn't say label, eligibility on a student and it says emotional disturbance, I want to be able to say why and what area and here's what, and this is how I got to that decision. So I don't take it lightly, especially when I put it on children of color, because unfortunately it follows you forever. And I, I struggle sometimes with is it, is this ED? Is this, is it not? And so honestly, at the end of the day, I just kind of look at the entire child, what's going on, at looking at the test, kind of figuring out what would, what would the child benefit from? If you receive this eligibility, do you truly need individualized, specialized instruction to be able to be um, with your peers on the same social emotional level? If you don't have it, what could happen to you kind of thing? And I kind of look at it from that lens. And then I kind of just dive through each of the five areas like, mm, didn't see that, not so much. They might be academic, mm, you know, that kind of thing. So I just kind of look at every single piece. And that's honestly, that's the hardest thing for me to do is to do ED eligibility because it takes me so long because sometimes I second guess myself and I'm like, okay, Stephanie, you're saying that it's inappropriate types of behaviors in the normal like what's normal like look define normal now like what is normal oh you're underneath the table oh you're screaming like a two-year-old and you're 12 mm, that's probably not normal so I think I look at it by a case-by-case basis and really being able to say can I say no and yes to each of those areas and why and then at the end of the day do I feel comfortable and at peace with that decision because at the end of the day it falls on me they say you're the expert on behavior, quote unquote. And then I feel like I'm obligated and it's, it's my duty to make sure that I'm making sure that I'm making the right decision. And then at the end of the day, am I gonna be okay with if the R community says no, or if they say yes, and here's why. And so that's just kind of what I do now. And more self-reflection and looking at the kid as a whole and then making that call. I think an important thing about, and I was just thinking as you were talking, Stephanie, about this eligibility is not only are we trying to help the child, but the parents as well. Um, mm-hmm. Cause a lot of time these behaviors are not necessarily just school setting based. They, they continue on into the home environment. And I know at least, and I'll speak specifically towards like interpretations, right? When I mm-hmm. sit down and have that conversation with a parent, um, that one tends to not necessarily be the hardest for me, but for the parent to like have this conversation of like, you know, this, we don't know what the future is going to look like. We're going to try and we're going to work through them and I'm going to be here for you. And mm. the school is going to be here for you. And we have a mm. lot of people on your side and on your team, but we need to help you at home as well. Like, mm. and so I guess I'm kind of asking, what are the conversations you guys are having like with the parents? Right. I mean, this is a, if we want to think of it as a view of like the child as a whole, like the parents are part of that. They're part of the macro systems of this. Right. So um, I know for me, um, that's the part that I look at the family. And so how I talk to a more fluent family 
is very different than how I talk to someone who was below the poverty line, because I don't need to hit you with a bunch of jargon, a bunch of whatever. You want to know, is Tyreek going to be okay? Am yes. I going to get CPS called on me? What do I, And what do I need to do to be a better parent? And so that conversation and, and calling a child, ED, it sounds scary, like ED, what is that? Emotionally disturbed, my kid's not that. So you have to understand, even though I don't have children, I put myself in that shoes of a parent to say, what would I want someone to tell me if that was my child? And so yeah. I kind of have to gauge the parent. And then also, I also tell them, I say, look, you're, you're not in this alone. I'm here for you. Even if I don't directly see your son every day or your daughter every day, if you need someone to talk to, if you're not understanding something, reach out to me. Um, and here are some resources to kind of get you a, a, a network of support if you don't have support. Because a lot of our parents don't have support. I've got moms who've got two and three jobs and four and five kids and they're just trying to stay above water like I'm just trying I just need help and um really for me one year one parent just she was she started crying she was just like thank you so much now I know what's wrong I thought it was me I thought it was something I was doing and I said it's not you at all I said and this is not the death sentence to your child I mean it's, it's a grieving process to hear emotionally disturbed and what that means and to say I'm here with you through the steps and eventually the goal is to exit out of special education he can go on to college and whatever he wants to do the workforce and be fine this label will not follow him or her forever and so really being connected with the parents and really understanding that we are a community a school community to help with that you know, Kia um, alluded to this, uh, you know, that the, the definition hasn't changed in so many years. Uh, I think I think we're all familiar with Eli Bauer that, that really since 1960 um, is when he and it's left. It's been left largely unchanged. Do you have recommendations? You know, if, if we could advocate, if we could um, have policy level changes to the language, um, what what would you like to see? this term renamed um, or a better identification. Go ahead, Chris. While we're thinking just maybe so for some other people, maybe can you explain who Eli Bauer is? <laughs> yeah. Well, so Eli Bauer um, is, is the, I mean, he's the, 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 the federal IDEA currently IDEA definition um, was put forth by Eli Bauer. Um, and that was in 1960 uh, when he really began to refer to serious emotional disturbance. So the serious part has been kind of left off um, now, but, and we've got different states, you know, there's some states that refer to this term as emotional impairment. Um, we have emotional behavioral disordered, um, so Megan may have more uh, familiarity with with different terms. Um, I will I will add though, just to be fair, if I recall correctly, um, Dr. Bauer, while he is responsible for the the definition of the criteria and a lot of that research, the the part about social maladjustment was a legislative addition and not based upon his research. So just to be fair to Dr. Bauer, he did not endorse the, the ideas surrounding right. social maladjustment, and that was more right. Well, that was added. there was, and, and the, the the historical significance there is that the the Congress at the time said, well, we don't want to give special education eligibility to all kids who are having maladaptive behaviors, um, and so we're going to add in this catchphrase for social maladjustment, which is not defined anywhere, and depending upon 
the case law in the states or in the districts, the, the circuits that you're in, I mean, some view that as an exclusionary factor and some just say we've got to assess. And if you're emotional, if, if you meet the criteria for emotional disturbance, whether or not you also are social have social maladjustment, you still can receive the special. And so it, it's just really, yeah. there's a lot of. As I was saying, in our, in our jurisdiction, it's really risky to think of it as an exclusionary criteria because, you know, in the law, it specifically says, you know, student is not ED if they have a social maladjustment, but they can have social maladjustment and also be eligible for ED. So just, just to clarify for people, don't, don't, it's not a, a rule out in the same way of like with SLD, where we have the series of rule outs and things like that. It is, it is possible that what we're seeing is social maladjustment under the law, but it's also possible for a student to have social maladjustment and the presence of an emotional disturbance. And yeah, 90% of those who, uh, I'm just throwing a number out, but <laughs> I mean, don't, don't we know that any child that we've met that has social maladjustment probably also has um, a significant uh, other impairment going on? Yes. Yeah. All right, so Brooke, what was your original question? <laughs> what do we want to rename? Yeah, Stephanie, do you want to rename it? I do want to rename it. I hate it. I absolutely throw it out. Um, maybe social emotional impairment, like something a little more friendlier, a little a little easier to swallow, digest. Um, I think we have to look at it from that lens of you know it, it it is something socially going on. It's not just emotionally. It's 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 a everything. It's a disconnect somewhere. So maybe like social emotional impairment. I like that a little bit better. When I talk to parents, um, when I mention emotional disturbance, I also mention in other states, they have different names for this. I know this sounds harsh, but it could be an emotional behavioral disorder in some states. Um, and I also tell them like, I would like it to change it to emotional impairment or something of that sort, just to kind of ease their mind and let them know there's other kind of or there's other identifications in other states. Um, well, it also just brings up the whole issue. If you step back even further, we're looking at all it, is is the entire deficit-based model of identification for special education. Right. Because when we, again, it's not great to say a kid has a learning disability or you know is intellectually mm -hmm. disabled and like exactly. all the other terminology. Because again, we're it, it comes back to this idea that we have to focus on this deficit ideology in order to consider supporting kids. So, I mean, that's just a bigger step back, but, uh, and obviously it's a, whole, it's a whole separate episode. Right. That's a whole thing. That's a whole thing. Um, let's transition into the idea of, let's say the kid doesn't qualify, right? The campus is like, no, well, I mean, what do you want me to do now? Right. We've tried all this stuff. I was expecting this kid to qualify. Now what? Yes. So what, how do you respond? And I, this question will be for everybody, but let's go Stephanie first. Like, how would you respond to that? So, you know, I, I try, I do the professional thing and I tell um, the, the principal or AP beforehand, like before we go to art, I'm going to tell you now, the kid's not going to qualify and here's why. And you get that deer in the headlights, what am I supposed to do with this kid? So I bust out my handy dandy, it's called restitution. Do we want to talk about what that is? Do we want to talk about some alternatives to those of you at home, school suspension? Stephanie is currently holding up a series of books. To do? You know, like, let's, let, let's look at some other things to do to try with the kid. Like, you can't send him home anymore. That's not going to work. And when he comes back, he's just as rude as he was when he left. So... What can we do working with the um, regular genetic counselor to maybe have this good student come in, maybe um, look at trying starting over again, maybe, you know, with 
let's kind of reset. Let's have a new period. Let's have a positive support. Let's get him a mentor or mentee kind of situation going on. Um, let's let's try some, think outside of the box. Let's think of other things we can try to help support the student just because they did get special education. And then I told him this too, like, especially so many of our kids are getting all these DMDDs and ODDs. So 504 is a way to go to get some behavioral accommodations. Like yeah. this kid might need a cooling off period. So I think sometimes they get scared of, well, they didn't qualify spade. Did you think about 504? That They could go that route too. And here's why, you know, we could support that by saying X, Y, and Z. So I think it's important to have those conversations about now what, don't freak out. This is not the, and they feel like it's finite. I say, it's not a finite decision. Like they don't qualify right now. Let's try over again. Let's get give them some more time. Maturity, especially in junior high, plays a big role in that. Someday the light bulb comes on and like their kids are like, you're the same oh. kid that was tearing up the classroom last yeah. year? Wow. You know, so yeah. And I think a lot of times schools are quick to jump straight to SPED, you know, yeah. and especially, and it does depend on maybe some of the people that are working, and speaking from an elementary place, right? People mm -hmm. are working in the RTI world and things like that of like, you know, like, hey, let's wait. Let's try these things. You want to jump already to there, but we haven't done everything yet. Mm -hmm. And I know at least on both of my campuses, I have very good people that are that will step in and say that, you know, but not everybody has that on their campuses. Um, we're kind of getting towards the end here. Um, does anybody have any final thoughts or anything else you want to kind of talk about? I just as far say, as I I just want to say I learned so much from Stephanie today, and oh, I yeah, could talk to it. you for so much longer about this topic. Yeah, there are <laughs> so, so many Not knowledge there. bombs that just got dropped as we went through Ooh. all these. It was fantastic. Thank you, Stephanie. You're welcome. Well, I think I think something good that'll come out of it is when the listeners hear this is they're like, um, so this uh, social skills curriculum, is this on like teachers pay teachers or where can I find this? You know, so, so just, just keep looking. I don't know if there's a right. name for it yet. <laughs> Not, I do have a name. It's called Girls Connection. Boop, boop. Got a name. Connection. You might see it at the upcoming, uh, you know, task convention. We'll oh, see. My God, boop, Stephanie, boop. I didn't even ask you to do that. And you're already just, you know, you're advertising for us. That's amazing. Okay. <laughs> Stephanie, you just continue to highlight you're maybe the third or, or fourth guest here who has brought something to the table that is not your traditional school psych test in place. You're actually you're doing something that makes a world of difference. And uh, we've got to continue to highlight people like you who are not just walking into schools and doing the same old thing every day, day in, day out. You're bringing it and you're and you're changing kids lives. Thank you. I'm humbled by that. I, yeah. I appreciate that. That's what as I long, strive for. Thank as you. long as you reach one, right? But you reach many, right? One. So, there you go. No, for personally, all right? So the way we like to finish every episode that we have a guest is we like to do a lightning round of questions. They are quick on your feet questions and just kind of give us quick little insight to you. Um, they We pulled them all from the praxis. So let's hope you remember it. I'm just kidding. No, we didn't. But <laughs> they're personal questions. All right. So what album is always on repeat with you or song because it's 2021 and people don't really listen to albums anymore. I am all about Jasmine Sullivan's um, pick up your feelings, pick them up and get them out here for me. Thank you very much. Great. Great. <laughs> what is one of your all time favorite movies or the one that's currently on your mind? 
Love Jones. I'm an absolute romantic. I love black romance. Boop, boop. Yeah, good, good. Love it. Uh, last TV show you binged? TV out here. Um, <laughs> the Cosby <laughs> show. I absolutely love the Cosby show. Different world. Fair. Good. Um, which celebrity would you want to meet? If I said right now, they'll be at your door. Um, honestly, I would absolutely love to meet Michelle Obama. Like, real talk. Like, just to be in her presence. Oh, my gosh. Girl you mean the presence power, of greatness. Here we go. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yes. Like, in give me shadow. some of that right now. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Let's get her. Let's get her to be a task. Yeah. Hey, you know, I'm willing to reach out to her people. You know, we can. Yeah. I don't think anyone's stopping you. So. Yeah. It, it might be one of those things where she's like, nobody's tried. So, like, how do I know not to not do it, right? So, it's definitely an action item for you. Uh, there you go. <laughs> so, coffee or tea? Okay, so neither. And I'm thanks yeah. to my best friend. I'm a Starbucks junkie for the refresher. Very, oh, very oh, those are fantastic. Boop. Those are fantastic. Yeah. How do you judge a person? It's gonna sound really cheesy, but your smile, like if you have a genuine smile, you're in. Like, no, Brooke, I'm sorry, that doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <I'll> try again. <laughs> but yeah, your smile, like your your aura, your personality. Yeah. What if what if they smile with their eyes like Tyra Banks taught us back smile, in the day? You want to smile with your eyes? Yes, exactly. Right. That. Um, come hither. <laughs> that, that'll work too. You know. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> What's a weird or fun fact about yourself? So I have nine tattoos, all very hidden, and I want some more. Thanks. I, I love that. And this is obviously a personal feeling, but I love that in our field, it's becoming more progressive that we can have tattoos and mm -hmm. it's like there, you don't have to hide them all the time or things yeah. like that. This is, as a tattoo wearer, I know there's other people that have them as well mm -hmm. on the board or even that are practitioners. And I do love that. But you have nine. I have nine. I have nine. When did you get your first one? 18. I was like, you can't tell me what to do, mama. I'm going to go get a tattoo. And I was like, can you come pick me up? She was like, ah, no. Yeah. I got it on my leg. It hurts. Right. <laughs> uh, um, and finally, what sparks joy in your life other than family? Because that's the go-to answer. Reading, honestly, self-care. Um, I am into Black romance and just moving off and just kind of that imagery, like getting away from being on the television and just reading a book takes me somewhere that I've never been before. And even to reread the book again, you see something you didn't see before. So reading, self-care, I love getting my nails done, my hair did, yeah. a little self-care for me. Yeah, that yeah. works. Take care of yourself first and then you can take care of others. There you go, right. there you go. Well, I really wanna thank you, Stephanie, for being with us today. It was phenomenal to have you on here. I'm glad that we can get your name out there, Honestly. that people can know who Stephanie Mathis is, right? And it is only an hour, but I feel like we got a lot in this hour. But it's enough that, that you are going to come back. All right. We have please come happy come about. back. Yes, yes, please do. I, I'm yes, here we for will it. Do Stephanie Mathis part two for sure. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think you're Stephanie, you're my new favorite person. So thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. Shots fired at all our previous guests by Megan. Boom. <laughs> ah, <laughs> no, sorry, sorry, everyone. <laughs> if we air this one first, then nobody else gets hurt, right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Before we close this up today, does anybody have any final thoughts or anything, you know, any last minute comments or anything else they want to kind of speak to or talk about? Just stay in the game. I mean, just remember your why. Always ask yourself, what is my why? And when you get burnt out, remember what got you started in the first place, because we will get burnt out. But you have to periodically ask yourself, what is my why? Why, why do I exist? Why am I here? Why am I in this profession? And then that should be able to kind of reunite, reignite in you 
your passion and your desire. I love it. I know. I know. There's those moments every day or every year where you're like, why am I still here? But that right there, it's the why. I love it. Thank you so much. Well, I want to thank all the rest of you guys for listening to us again. Um, remember to follow our official TAS Facebook and Instagram accounts at TXASP, where you can get all the up-to-date info on what is happening in our field and what the board is currently up to. And until next time, remember, make good choices. <laughs>